0: Hello and welcome everybody to this week's Dev Central Connects. My name is Boo, one of your community evangelists on the F5 Dev Central team, and I am your host today. Today we have on Dan Moore. He is the head of developer relations at FusionAuth, and he is one of the few return guests for Dev Central Connects. We have a couple of them and Dan has met the requirements to become a, a return guest and so he's he's jumping on today. We're gonna be talking about WebAuthN, which is a topic that uh, we got a little bit into last time. We parked it for a part two. I thought it sounded like this was something that we could expand upon in its own show so we're going to do that before we bring on dan though a couple things that i wanted to remind you all dev central connects is supported by community.f5.com and that is f5's global user community so on there you'll find things like our forums for q a we have all of the show threads are posted on there as well so anytime that i have a live stream we'll actually post some notes About the live stream in a group hub is what it's called, called Dev Central Connect. So you'll find that on there if you hit the navigation bar. You'll also find lots of how-to articles on there. Some of those are written by F5 employees and some of those are written by the community as well, contributed by the community. So I would encourage you to check that out, free to sign up, free to get all that information on there. I will also remind you all that we do have a calendar on there as well. We have some events coming up. So if you're listening to this live right now, right now is... April 11th, if you're listening to this later on, then be mindful of that because we do have a calendar that has some events that I want to highlight. One of them is the Las Vegas Users Group. This is in person and this is happening at Topgolf this Friday, I think. So do check that out if you're in the Vegas area. And then we have Cleveland Users Group as well. That's happening on April 20th. And this is called the Hoptimizing Security. Okay, cool that should be interesting and then I'll also say that the week of February or the week of April 24th is RSA 2023 and myself Peter and Aubrey from the team are all hitting the road and we will be at RSA 2023 so we'll be there to connect with the community would love to see you in person, if possible, and be able to, hey, we can grab a selfie, we can have a chat. We'd love to hear from you, get feedback about the stuff that we're doing. But overall, we're really looking forward to seeing some folks in person and creating content there. Otherwise, if you are watching us live right now, let us know where you are listening to us from, what country you're listening to us from. If you're in the office, if you're at home, if you're in the car, that might be. I would hope that you would subscribe as well. So we are streaming right now to YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn you're watching from one of those platforms, please hit subscribe, hit like, leave a comment as well. And you might be listening to us right now. If you aren't, we are available in an audio podcast. So that's available via Google, Apple, and Spotify podcasts. So please check us out from there. I will say hello to Aditya. Thanks for tuning in today. Awesome. Glad to have you. And we've got a Pravat in India. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in. Very cool. Yeah. If you are watching live right now, please leave us a note as to where you're tuning in from. Otherwise, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring on our guest today. Dan, how are you doing? Good. Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm glad I made the cut to come back as a second yes. time guest. Thanks for having me. Way, way over the bar. You exceeded all expectations. So we had to have you back. <laughs> lots of pressure um, now, but <laughs> Yeah, glad to have you on. For folks who didn't catch the first time that you were on, actually, maybe you can give a quick intro on yourself and your role at uh, FusionAuth. Sure, sure. So I'm Dan Moore. I've been a developer for a couple of
1: decades, and now I'm in the lucky position of being able to help educate people about authentication and authorization as head of DevRel at a company called FusionAuth. We're a CIAM provider, which basically means it's a pluggable authentication piece of software that helps your users log in, log out, register, manage a profile, add MFA, all those things that applications need and are pretty undifferentiated.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It's it's such a big topic these days too, as far as, uh, I mean, just chats that we've been having internally about your own personal authentication. You know, we're seeing some of those big password managers out there being compromised and, uh, you know, it really brings the light. Hey, how are you? authenticating into applications. Maybe from a user perspective, you're not so worried about the authorization aspect other than you need to get to what you need to get to. Right. But from a developer aspect, then you have to worry about all that stuff. So I guess yep. today that weaves in nicely. We're talking about WebAuthN, which you hinted at before last uh, last time you were on. It's a bigger topic. So we parked it for its own show. Maybe, you know, we cover it all today. Maybe we have to have you on for a third time and then break records at that point. But why don't you kind of give us an idea of web WebAuthn, you know, why it's important. We can start off from there.
1: Sure. Yeah. So WebAuthn is a standard that is supported by all of the major browsers. I think it got standardized a couple of years ago, but it's really been rolled out. And what it lets you do is it lets you as a web developer get yeah. access to... Secure means of authentication that are based on devices without having to write a lot of code to integrate with them. So, what do I mean by devices? I mean, like, touch ID on your Mac, face ID on your iOS device, fingerprint on your Android device, a YubiKey, like a piece of hardware. So, all of those conform to a certain standard that talks to the browser, and then the browser exposes that via JavaScript to your web application. So, the big takeaway that I hope everyone kind of listening gets is that you can enable safe, secure authentication with WebAuthn that actually is a better user experience because I don't know if you've ever logged into your Mac with Touch ID, but it's way easier and quicker than using a password. So that's the big win. And the last thing I'd say is, and we can dig into some of the details, but like the thing that the server store with WebAuthn is a public key The private key is stored on that device. And so you mentioned the password managers, like, you know, LastPass and some other ones having issues. Well, if someone breaks into a password or into a server and grabs WebAuthn stuff, it's just going to be a public key. And it's not going to be the private key that lets them actually
0: get access as you. Interesting. So actually this, I think this might've come up yesterday, but this, is this similar to like Apple's keyless? Uh, yeah.
1: I'm not sure about Apple's keyless solution. They're called pass keys. That's what Apple calls key. them and yep. Google calls them that. And that's kind of the consumer facing name. So yeah, whenever you see pass key, there, there's some cell differences, but
0: you can think web authentic because that's the standard it's built on. Okay. Interesting. So previous to this, was there a way to do it before somebody would have to build a library or, you know, something would have to exist before it was hacked together or, you know, what did pre-WebAuthn look like?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I think that pre-WebAuthn you were, there were standards around kind of communicating with the device, but there wasn't a way for you as a web developer to get access to it. So if you wanted to, I, I assume maybe you could write like a com component or something like that that was like digging underneath the browser, but certainly it wasn't something that was as as, as accessible as a couple of lines of JavaScript. Which really, I mean, we we can put some links in the in the notes, but as a developer, there's some scaffolding around it, but the actual call to like authenticate somebody is really you create a JavaScript object and you call into this this JavaScript API that the browser exposes for you. And that's really all you have to do. And then you, you take the response back and, and decide whether it's a, a successful authentication or not. So it makes it, it really abstracts a lot of the difficulties
0: away. Yeah, that's interesting. So how would a, and and let me know if you want to take this in a different direction as far as discussing it, but how would the flow look like? Is WebAuthn something that's offered first through the browser to the user or is it initiated through a a click first The user is going to decide whether or not this happens? Sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the first thing you need to do is register this device. And I kind of mentioned the kind of public-private key nature of this first. So we have to have a way for the server to, to get that public key and for the device to create, well, the device actually creates the key pair and then sends the public key up. So there needs to be some kind of registration process and WebAuthn, they got kind of fancy, so they call it a ceremony. It's more than a protocol because a protocol is computers talking to each other, whereas WebAuthn is a person is in the mix too. So you register the device and that kind of implies, although it doesn't require, that there's an existing account you're attaching this device to. One thing that's worth noting is that WebAuthn, the current version, as it is standardized, is tied to a particular device, right? So if I set up WebAuthn credentials for my Mac, I, and then I want to log in with my Android device, I need to set up WebAuthn credentials with my Android device too. There's no moving things around between different devices because that private key stays on the device. So there is work in. I think Weblock, the next version of WebAuthn, to deal with kind of moving things around because you can imagine there's some risks with tying things to devices, as well as some strengths. Anyway, so we have this registration process, and then the next time you can prompt the user because you know you can drop a cookie or do other some other you know way of kind of durably saying, "Hey, this person has a WebAuthn set up." You can prompt them, and then. The user presses the button and that's the key, one of the key things about WebAuthn well is they built this from the ground up to be not automatable. They want mm-hmm. user action because that prevents phishing because or it helps prevent phishing. I shouldn't say nothing is 100% preventing phishing, but they wanted it to be kind of definitely have a human in the loop. So anyway, point is, then there's a login ceremony where someone, you know, presses the button and then... The, the long and short of it is there's a message that's sent down to the device. The device signs it with a private key, comes back to the website, which has public key, and then can verify that it was that the message was signed with that pri- corresponding private key, and then you're logged in.
0: Oh, that's cool. So then at that point, there's still a, a password or 2FA as a backup at that point. Or you would have had to, you would have had to log in in the first place to initiate the ceremony with whatever your standard log is, log in is, and then you're kind of up leveling your security from there.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the past, there are ways to have the, the Web Authent Ceremony be kind of the only source of truth about this user, but then you run into the reco- account recovery issue, right? So the way we've typically seen it implemented at Fusion Auth is you have an account and you might get that via password list or you might get that via, you know, single sign-on through, you know, federating to some other server like Okta or whatnot, but then you add WebAuthn to decrease the friction of the user's secondary and third
0: tertiary login experiences. Mm. Oh, interesting. Have you, maybe we can get into some use cases that you've seen. I mean, obviously a a login is is one scenario, but, I'm wondering if you might actually use this for like a step-up authentication at some point. So maybe somebody's making a purchase, or somebody's trying to modify or access their credit card credentials, yeah, or maybe private information. Like maybe you could use it for healthcare.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that all those things where there's like an additional layer of security that's needed, it's a great place to use WebAuthn. You know, one of the nice things about it, as opposed to some of the earlier stuff, that was kind of in the same vein is that it's on all the consumer devices, right? So that makes it, it we're a Siam company. We're, we're all about customer identity, access management. And so that is what made it really appealing to us and why we decided to, to build it out is because you're reaching a point. I mean, people who are in IT have had keys for a long time, right? Like, and this is built on top of the, a similar, I mean, keys implement, the underlying standard and can be used with WebAuthn, but you're not going to send out a $30 key or even a $2 key to a 100,000 customers, whereas you can be pretty sure most people have a smartphone. So yeah, so login is one. Step-up authentication is another great use case for it. That's cool. MFA yeah. is another great use case actually too, right? So at the point of login, you could ask for a WebAuthn authentication as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe... Maybe password resets, you have an alternative there instead of putting in personal information or trying to answer personal questions. Yep. We've got a question here from Aditya. What is an example for WebAuth? And I think we answered, or you answered an example, but maybe an an end-to-end flow. Maybe we take that from a, like a configuration perspective. Is that something that you could walk through?
1: Sure. So again, there's kind of those two flows where there's the registration and then the the actual authentication so I'll probably take the actual authentication and again actually and I should mention this that the web the w three c which is the standards body that actually worked in partnership with another standards body called fido to specify side web then? they have something they have an excruciatingly detailed document if you if you want to look at it but Basically what you do is you have a website prompts authentication, right? Because they, because they knows the user has set up WebAuthn previously. It creates a JavaScript object and the things that are included in the JavaScript object are like the host name of the website, the, a challenge, which is basically like a random string and some things around whether the user is, is present or verified. And the difference between those are present is it's basically some, some hardware devices have a way you can like just press a button and that like proves that someone was there and they touched the hardware key. The other devices have like, they'll ask you to enter roll a pin or take a, take a snapshot of your face or something like that. And so there's a difference between like someone was there versus the person who set up the Device was there, but you can make that request. Anyway, you bundle this all into a JavaScript object and you call that API. That gets passed by the browser to the authenticator. The authenticator looks to see whether there is a corresponding object for this particular host name. And I think there's also a user ID bundle in as well. And then if that is present, then the authenticator, which again could be a phone, it could be a, a YubiKey, doesn't really matter what it is. And that's one of the beauty, beautiful things about WebAuthn is as a dev, you don't care as long as it's something that the user is comfortable with. They press a button or they, they do the thing, right? So the authenticator prompts the user. And if the user doesn't recognize the host name or doesn't recognize anything about it, they can deny it and then the, the authentication fails. But if they do recognize it and they say, yep, this is, you know, fusionauth.io and they accept it, and then they enter the PIN and then they authenticate in whatever way the authenticator wants them to. Then the authenticator says, oh, great, this person's there. They authenticated. It signs that whole bundle. It passes it back to the browser. Browser passes it back to the website. The website then uses that private or that public key to verify the signature. And then if it checks out, then they can look at the innards of that message, which include things like, was the user verified or were they just present to see if the challenge is the same, right? Because you don't want a replay attack. And then if everything checks out, users authenticated. And then from then on, it's just as if they'd logged in with a password or passwordless or any other way. Like there's really nothing downstream. It's a purely authentication event.
0: I don't know. Was that enough detail? Yeah, that's pretty cool. And maybe from there, you know, I I think you've, Done a great job of highlighting it or describing it from a general perspective, maybe more specific to FusionAuth. Then, like you guys, you guys have built out this implementation of it. How long have you guys had it? We launched in, I want to say, September. It was, it was fall of last year. Oh, nice. Yeah, very cool. And then, from that perspective, like you need something like FusionAuth because it sounds like not only the, there's the browser aspect of it, but you guys need to then have some sort of key store for everything being held. I mean you don't need Fusion auth right and that's mm-hmm. one thing like we'd
1: love if you came and checked us out right but there are open source libraries out there there are the open source solutions this does lend itself to being kind of isolated to an identity provider like a fusion auth but if you have a Python Django application and you just want to w- add WebAuthn in there are some libraries out there that you can use to mm-hmm. pop in right because there is some so so I mentioned the the specification which is super detailed about like the, the flows that I went through, the registration authentication flow and how you convert you know things that are in binary to base 64, et cetera, et cetera, the format of the messages. There's also the scaffolding around it, around the key store, around deciding when to prompt somebody. And that's where a solution like Fusion Office can help you. But if you want to build it yourself, you absolutely can do that. And there are, you know, I've done some research. I know they exist in the Python ecosystem. I haven't done as much research on other language ecosystems, but I would expect there are libraries out there to help you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. To me, it sounds like the whole beauty of it is that, okay, you've simplified the the API now so you can grab into whatever interface it is on the machine, but then you use something like FusionAuth, you don't have to worry about that. So you're probably, as a developer, more worried about designing what the flow looks like and you've kind of gotten past all the, scaffolding, I guess you're saying there, and then you can worry about that and worry about just getting the application up and running when you offload that. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think that the big win around then is exactly what you just said, right? It's like, it is one more way for your users to get access to your features and your users. <laughs> by the way, everybody, big big shock here. Users don't care about how they authenticate, right? Like yeah. they want to be secure and they want it to be easy, but like they want to get to your features. They don't They don't care about the other things.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, especially if you're an e-commerce, you guys probably deal with a lot of e-commerce types, types of customers as well, right? So like the friction between identifying a product that you want to buy and actually getting them to click buy is this this point that everybody is trying to reduce and get to the point where like, a, a, you know, the Amazon model of that one click purchase and that locks them in and, you know, the propensity that they cancel that purchase it could happen, but, you know, at least they've kind of gone through. It's purchased, it's in, you know, it's gone past the cart already and it's already done. So the more the someone like, you know, someone like a fusion auth can clean that up and the more something like a web auth n can help with just speeding up that process and getting people to, whether it's purchase or having a good experience on, you know, even, you know, my wife, if she gets blood work done or something like that, and then she has to go through to the e-health provider to get all of her results and log in this, log in that, all these different passwords and whatnot. If she could just hit the touch ID, she can get past that and not be so frustrated with just trying to see her uh, blood test results.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. And two uh, other kind of anecdotes. The one is, then this is not our customer, I wish it were, but Best Buy is one of the places I've seen mm-hmm. pass keys in the wild, right? So mm-hmm. again, playing that e-commerce, just making it as super simple as possible I think Best Buy probably also is obviously playing to a little bit of the geek, right? Like geek, there are going to be people who are on the forefront of knowing and being willing to, you know, try passkey or webauthn login. The second is, I was on a totally different podcast and we were talking about webauthn, and as I was talking about it, one of the hosts was like, "Oh, that's cool," and so he went in and he actually started just adding Touch ID to all of his as a second forms of second form of authentication to a bunch of his different accounts. And And so if you start, if you're a dev and you start looking around, you may find that like GitHub lets you do it. And it was NPM, I think was another one. And there are other options out there where it's just adding additional
0: layer of security to your, or ease, or both to your authentication experience. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I am actually after this call, I'm I'm going to go start looking around to see where I can implement this. We got one question here. I don't know if you know this one from Jaime, I think it might be pronounced, but how does it differentiate from FIDO to FIDO2? Good can question. That one?
1: Great question. So FIDO2 is kind of the overarching, so FIDO is the organization. It stands for, oh gosh, Free Identity Online, I think. It's like an organization was started in 2012 it was with PayPal and some other big companies and they wanted to make identity simpler online. And they actually had a previous kind of set of standards and WebAuthn is part of their kind of second generation of standards. And I mentioned that WebAuthn talks about, you know, let the browser talk to the authenticator. I was kind of maybe simplifying things a little bit. Basically, basically, between the server and the browser and, and the browser is Web well is that standard. And then between the browser and the authenticator, which is again the UB key, the phone, et cetera, that's something called CTAP two. And there was original CTAP, which I don't 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 hate me, I don't actually know what it stands for, but it's kind of the nuts and bolts of how you kind of communicate with a hardware or software authentic authenticator. And together they're FIDO two. So the one thing to be aware of is that you can actually have like the browser is just another native application. And so if you want to write like a Go application that uses a YubiKey or Face ID or et cetera, you can actually use the CTAP2 standard, not worry about WebAuthn at all um, if you're writing like a native app.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for the question, Jaime. Thank you. Very cool. Well, that brings us to the end. That was really quick, but it sounds like uh, we got through WebAuthN today. So we'll have to come up with another topic for the next time you're on, Dan. Well, thanks again so much for having me. And and
1: again, if you are watching this or listening, please go check out WebAuthN. I think it, you know, obviously I'd love you to do it with FusionAuth, but you can do it with those libraries,
0: those open source solutions. It's a great way to help out your users. Yeah, that's awesome. From a Fusion Auth perspective, that, that's something that's just kind of out of the box for you guys. If somebody, you know, in an initial implementation, they can get WebAuthn up pretty quickly from there. It's all prepackaged. I will say it's in our paid edition. So okay. you have to, it's a, you have to have a license to use it. Yeah, cool. I think it's worthwhile. So that's my <laughs> comment on that. Thank you very much, Dan. Where can folks find you if they want to get in touch with you? Sure. FusionAuth.io is the website of FusionAuth, obviously. And then
1: I'm on Twitter still. (laughs) I'm clinging (laughs) on Twitter at Moreds, M-O-O-R-E-D-S.
0: Awesome. Very cool. I've also got links for Dan in our show thread. So if you head over to community.f5.com and use a navigation bar to look under Dev Central Connects, you will see a whole bunch of show threads inside of there and this will be on there. So thank you very much, Dan, for joining me. Thank you. Okay, that was great having Dan on today to talk about Then I've learned a whole bunch about that actually. It was funny that we just had this conversation, a couple of us had this conversation and those Apple pass keys came up and then Dan started talking about that and I realized that's what we were talking about. So that's pretty cool. Just a couple of reminders for folks. If you are watching us right now live, you'll be watching from LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube or Twitter, so please hit subscribe on there click like leave a comment if you will although we will be not be we will not be live shortly here but you can also listen to us via podcast which is apple google and spotify uh, as well otherwise we hope to that that you would join us on the community which is community.f5.com and otherwise we will see you on the next one